And so I took a massive leap into the unknown. I resigned as chairman of BBH New York in the summer of 2005 without a job to go to. And it was the best bloody thing that I ever did in my life. <laughs> I don't know if you heard, but this podcast is now sponsored. So before we get into the episode, let me tell you about our sponsor. I Love That Ad is proudly sponsored by IRS Plus, the one-stop shop for expert local radio planning and media agnostic brand solutions. If you have a media brief, you need to speak to IRS Plus. Go to irsplus.ie or mail hello at irsplus.ie for more. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to a extra special uh, episode of I Love That Out podcast. Firstly, joined as always by my one and only Shane W. Brennan. Hello, Shane. Um, Hello. But for, we're, we're also joined by the legendary Cindy Gallup, founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, and an absolute hero and legend uh, in, in the, the marketing and tech world. Cindy, welcome to the podcast. It's a real honor. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. So uh, as a as an impressionable young person in the industry in 2016, I, I packed my shorts and my dodgy shirts and <laughs> went to uh, the South of France in Cannes. And that's where, where I first experienced uh, Cindy's uh, tour de force uh, in the industry. And she absolutely blew my mind uh, at a talk she was given purely because she was saying the shit that everyone was might have been thinking, but didn't uh, didn't express. And it kind of blew my mind in terms of how refreshing you can actually be in, in the industry and it it kind of it does go back to what you describe yourself cindy is i like to blow shit up i'm the michael bay of business <laughs> that's an epic epic way to introduce yourself thank you so what kind of um what kind of ways do you do you approach in terms of blow, blowing shit up i know you've been doing it for for, for all through your career and in your work now but kind of is that your general approach from from when you first started the industry right up to now? Um, um, no, I mean, t- I mean, where that tagline came from was, you know, um, after I'd left the corporate advertising world and I was working as a consultant, which I do to this day, and I was in a meeting with some potential consultancy clients explaining my approach, and so I said to them. You know, I consult very selectively only for clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And then I lightheartedly off the cuff said, I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bear of business. And everybody laughed. And I left the meeting and I thought, actually, that's a really good way to sum up what I do. And so I've been using that line ever since. But Importantly, I use that line entirely deliberately, not not as a bit of creativity or a bit of whimsy or a bit of fun, because I'm a big believer in be your own filter. When I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do, it repels the ones who don't. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort and money. And in fact, over the years, over the decades, I have strongly recommended that advertising agencies and creatives think about that approach as well. Wow. So uh, it's, it's, it's your own filter for your, for your inbox, let alone any, any, anything else. And do you find that having that kind of approach where I don't want to say you're, you're, you're obviously try, trying to be Marmite, but, you know, you're, you're attracting the people who want to come uh, to you. Do you, 
it, does that approach make you more attractive to people because you're like okay you're you're selective so they 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 want want to work with you even more and uh, not only because that approach but also your experience yeah absolutely that's 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 brilliant i think that's uh, so that's it aaron i get to kind of say what i want now about foe that's, and i'm gonna start uh, <laughs> describing us because i'd love to repel some people <laughs> <laughs> that's the 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 handbrake uh, the handbrake is off um so cindy um for 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 anyone who who, who doesn't know you, you obviously have a, a a stellar advertising uh and creative creative background um you know, setting up the, the Asia Pacific branch of BBH in '96, and in the US in '98, and now you're you're um, you're d- doing the consultancy and uh, running Make Love Not Porn. What what made the move away from the traditional advertising agency model into into uh, your own companies? So. Um- Everything in my life and career has always happened by accident. I've never consciously intentionally planned anything. And so um, basically um, in 2005, I turned 45 and I had my very own personal midlife crisis in the sense that I'd always thought of 45 as kind of a midlife point. Obviously, by the way, the happy assumption that one lives to be 90, you know, fingers crossed. (laughs) But um, in the couple of years running up to it, I'd gone on one's 45th birthday is the moment when you pause, you take stock, you reflect and review, where have I been, where am I going? So February 1, 2005, I duly did that. And that was when I went, oh my God, I've just worked 16 years for the same advertising agency. And I hasten to add, absolutely wonderful agency, you know, love BBH to death, cannot say enough nice things about them. But, you know, I'd always said to people, you know, I'm not going to work in advertising forever, not going to work at BBH forever, but advertising is a really great industry to work in, to find out what you want to do next. Because in our industry, you come into contact with so many different sectors, companies, brands, people, And so I guess I'd always thought that one day my next big thing would bubble up from the ether. And there I was at the age of 45 and it hadn't. So vast amounts of thought and angsting ensued. And eventually I went, if I want to review every possible option open to me for what is effectively the second half of my life, maybe the best thing to do is to put myself on the market very publicly and go, okay, guys, here I am, what do you got? And see what comes. And so I took a massive leap into the unknown. I resigned as chairman of BBH New York in the summer of 2005 without a job to go to. And it was the best bloody thing that I ever did in my life. Because (laughs) I am now evangelical about working for yourself. Too many people make the mistake of thinking that a job is the safe option. It's not. Because in a job, you are at the complete mercy of management changes, industry downturns, marketplace dynamics. I always say to people, whose hands would you rather place your future in? Those of a large corporate entity, who at the end of the day doesn't give a shit about you, or somebody who will always have your best interests at heart, i.e. you. And did you not find that terrible in any sense? Or was there any fleck of, shit, what have I done at any stage? Or was it just, you know, up like that from, from the word go? Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, it was an interesting time because I had no idea what I was going to do next. But I was um, very lucky because, you know, when the news of my leaving BBH went public, tons of things came to me, 90% of which I would never have thought of myself. 
And I thought, okay, I still don't know what I want to do. I'm going to be employment slut. I'm going to talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take every phone call. I'm going to do every meeting, no preconceived notions. Even if I think I wouldn't want to work for this company, I'm going to go meet with them anyway. And so I embarked on a fascinating exploratory that was as good for telling me what I didn't want to do as what I did want to do. Because I would come out of a meeting or an interview and I'd go, okay, so now I know in 50 million years, no wonder that. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it was just a fascinating process, you know, and, and serendipitously set me on, on the path to entrepreneurship. That's fantastic. And, and I suppose, uh, uh, we probably apologize in advance to all the, the agencies that we, you might have set off a, 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 a domino effect of, of an avalanche of resignations <laughs> after this, this episode goes out. But, uh, that's, they're they're the kind of stories that you'd you'd hope to hear and are great to, to when you when you when you do hear them because your 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 career is, has 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 gone even more stratospheric since there since then and the companies that you founded uh you're 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 out there pushing them and they're and they're they're getting uh some some great you know recognition in 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 the tech world in the sex tech world and and your your consultancies as well and pushing pushing the gender diversity so do you find that you know, you, you might have started over the last few years doing one thing, but then you find you're you're finding more avenues as as your your career is ever evolving. Well, I mean, um, really, you know, my full focus is on growing and scaling my business, make love not porn. Um, you know, I consult and do public speaking and personal coaching alongside that to support myself because until I raise the funding I'm currently looking for right now. You know, I, I still have to, you know, um, earn money alongside it. Um, but but basically, you know, all I'm ever doing in anything I'm doing is I am living and working my values. You know, I designed a business around what I believe in and what I value. You know, I speak about the things that I care about. Um, I coach and consult according to you know, what I believe should be happening, what I want to see happen, what I want to see people achieve for themselves. And so in all of it, as I say, I'm living and working my values. Amazing. Um, it's, it's quite, quite inspiring. Yeah, like that's, um, it's it's an unbelievable thing to hear. Like it's, because uh, obviously myself and Aaron went out in ourselves, by ourselves there. Um, what is it, Aaron? Six, sixth year? Just six? six? Six years. Yeah, yeah. and like, uh, there's tough times there's up times there's down times there's every type of time you could fucking imagine and uh that um as you well know and that kind of saying who would you trust your future with and like coming from bigger agencies and stuff like that and then going and getting to focus there is there is the you get can get sidetracked in the weeds sometimes because you're dealing with everything but then when you do get those highs and you do get inspired and you do get those wins be it small in comparison to other things that you might have been involved in but there's still a win. You take a win, you get through your Tuesday and you you move on. And um, to hear that living living your values is a, is a lovely way to frame that as well. To um, position what gets you up in the morning, what gets you through the day, what gets you to five, six, seven, eight, whatever time you're working till when you're working for yourself. But yeah, I think uh, definitely, as Aaron said, there might be an avalanche of small agencies popping up in Dublin. We'll have one of those guests on in the next year after set yeah, up and they'll, and they'll, like, they'll attribute it right back to the back to this moment. Um, well, Cindy, uh, we're, we're, we're really excited to kind of 
pick your brains on, on, on what kind of advertising that, that, that appeals to you and the ones that have been standout uh, to, to you over the years. So um, could you give us a flavour of what we'll expect over this episode and then uh, then introduce the first ad that you've picked for us, please? Sure. Um, so I've picked, um, you know, first of all, my favourite ad of all time, you know, um, number one. And then I've picked... Um, two other ads that also represent um, two of my favorite ads and actually ad campaigns of all time as well. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk individually about each one and, and why I've selected them. But, um, you know, the, the first ad that I want to share with everybody is my favorite ad of all time because it absolutely delivers on two of my fundamental creative philosophies and also, by the way, life philosophies as well. So I'm a big fan of radical simplicity. I like to keep things very, very simple. That's a generally good philosophy in life and in business. And, you know, I love um, great creative work that is radically simple in its approach, which um, the first ad, you know, I want to share with, with our, our viewers absolutely is. And then I am a huge believer in communication through demonstration by which i mean don't say it be it and do it and this ad is in my view you know the most spectacular example of communication through demonstration because it absolutely drives its point home and then you know i think the third thing i would say is that you know i am absolutely all about commercial effectiveness in our industry. Um, to me, an ad is not great unless it sells. And this ad, um, you know, is well documented as being having been extremely effective in achieving um, the goal that it was created um, to achieve. Um, I always like to say um, that you know, I, I do everything I do, including advocating for our industry, because I bloody love advertising and I bloody love our industry. And I hate the fact that we are not given enough credit for what you have to be very good at to be very good at working in advertising, because we have to be masters of human psychology. We have to be experts in consumer insight. We have to understand what motivates people. You know, I, I like to say that I have spent 38 years working in the business of getting people to do things they originally had no intention of doing. And I just think that this ad absolutely speaks to that because, you know, in terms of the appeal of what this ad was brief to sell, it totally does that. So that's my, my setup for my, you know, um, favorite ad of all time. Brilliant. And can you tell us the brand? Just before sure. we watch it. Sure. So um, so this is it's actually a very old ad. Um, it was created by the American advertising agency Campbell Ewald, and it was created for the US Navy and specifically for the Navy SEALs as a recruitment ad. And so, you know, in my view, it absolutely delivers on demonstrating exactly what the Navy SEALs do in a way that makes you look at it and go, I want to be a Navy SEAL. So, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Let's have a let's have a look.
I want to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous piece of work. It's and, insanely simple. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's communication through demonstration. Yeah, uh, that's that's probably the, the, the most um, visual video version of, uh, you know, a picture speaks a, a, a thousand words. I've never never seen that before. It really is. Uh, really, is something. It's, it's an ad when you're working in the industry, you're going, ah, fuck it. They got it. They got it. They got it. They nailed it. Oh. You know, it's the, the one of those. I wish I did it or thought of that kind of ones. What's also fabulous that, about it is the sound. So for me, the, 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 the sound design on that. So I, I would listen to an awful lot of podcasts with, with ex-Navy SEALs, Jocko Willick, David Goggins, and I'd watch an awful lot. I've seen an awful lot of documentaries on BUDS training um, around that time, and they're living in the Pacific Ocean training to become Navy SEALs, and they hold the logs, and they're sitting in that um, surf or lying down in that surf, and someone has to quit or they're not getting out. And like that, that wave is synonymous the sound of wave lapping waves for me just based on kind of consuming that is just so synonymous with the seals and it's kind of a big buds is such a big part of the way they communicate to their kind of they almost how they qualify each other is what buds class you were in what you don't know who the people knew who they didn't know or i've heard people who failed buds but they talk about how far they got in it before they failed and it's this whole qualifier so to see to, to hear that sound with it makes sense but then just to see the kind of but it's not training this is stealth this is this is what this is these these trained individuals are so at one with nature and so perfect perfect at what they do you you don't you're not meant to see them we don't need to show you what a seal is because you don't need to <laughs> you know what i mean you'll never see them if they don't want you to mm. it's just fabulous it's lovely <laughs> it's just so as you said simple but it's doing you know um i just love the sound the sound is just synonymous it's fabulous and in, in, over over your time in, in the advertising world in the like these obviously ads were, were the ones that, that that appeal to you or the you know the roots that you might be bringing to a brand uh to, to to execute how hard did you find or how easy did you find selling selling these into brands and kind of getting them to come on board with you with the restraint almost as in get on board with without without showing the full deck of cards well you know um the, the great thing about the agencies i worked for um you know i began my advertising career at ted bates in london in 1985 an agency that sadly no longer exists moved on to j walter thompson then to gold greenies trot and then fetched up at bbh where i spent the majority of my career but you know um i worked for agencies especially obviously at bbh where, you know, it was absolutely about um, be your own filter in the same way that I was referencing earlier with my Michael Bay tagline. You know, either, you know, we are for you, um, what we do creatively is what you want or it isn't. So when I I started up BBH New York um, 25 years ago um, in New York in September 1998, um, you know, 25 years ago, we still had, you know, the showreel the umatic, by the way, for those who recall that. Um, um, but because, you know, that was when the easiest summation of your work was the showreel with the TV ads on it. This was long before case study videos and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, um, and so I would very deliberately, you know, start each credentials presentation um, with our showreel and I would watch how clients responded to it. 
because if there were any sharp intakes of breath or frowns, then I knew they were not going to be our kind of client. So, you know, I was lucky enough to work for agency brands whose clients were self-selecting because, you know, we did the kind of great work that if you weren't our kind of client, it scared you off. And if you were our kind of client, you went, I want some of that. There's an immense level of confidence uh, in that, in, in the agency, in yourselves and back in your own talent, back in your colleagues' talent as well. That Do you think that's still within the, in the agency ecosystem or is, has that ebbed away as, as the, the, the decades have gone by? I think I think it's still there in certain agencies that hold a line, but it's not there in the vast majority. Yeah, um, I think it's the yeah, type it's of thing uh, like an executive or junior copywriter love the idea of. But I'd imagine it can be scary place, just like not the clients for the space. If the clients won't be for the space, but if someone comes in and is employed and they just don't fit the mold or they're, they're not pushing it or you're constantly trying to do new work. It, while they love the idea of being in this agency, it could scare off an awful lot of people who might necessarily not cut it, for lack of a better word, if you know, if, if that makes sense. I'd imagine it's very, who's coming to work with the agencies is similar to the client as a regard to what creatives actually want to express themselves yeah, there. absolutely. Or are willing to cut it, you know? Mm, absolutely. So it creates its own kind of magnetism. Yeah. <laughs> Either repels or, 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 or yeah, bring, yeah. Brings, it, brings it closer. Um, I can't believe I've never seen that ad. That's that's. I can't that's believe you've never seen that ad either. Uh, My God! Brilliant. Yeah, I'm I'm genuinely a bit bit shocked. Right. Uh, this is it, we're 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 well over a hundred episodes of this podcast, and, and and that's never never come to the table. So thank you very much for for opening with that. Um, what can we expect for our second ad? Right, and before I move on to the second ad, I want to make one point to our, our viewers. Um, when you asked me to set up that ad, mm -hmm. I did so by citing, first of all, the advertising agency responsible for it, Campbell Ewald. That was entirely deliberate because ours is the only industry where we never get to brand our own product. Mm -hmm. Our creative output goes out into the world without our own brand, without the brand that actually was responsible for how brilliant it was attached to it. And that's mm. something I felt very strongly about um, throughout my advertising career, particularly the latter stages of it, when you know I was running agencies and we badly needed for you know promotional purposes to have our name connected to our creative output. And so I was completely straightforward about asking our clients, you know, when you are interviewed on this TV mm. show, when you go out on that stage please can you make sure you say our name loud and clear as being your agency and the people who were responsible for this brilliant work. And I did that overtly because it's astonishing to me how many clients um, don't do that and how many agencies do not push their clients to do that. You know, um, in my early years running BBH New York, I um, attended for the first time what is a very big um, annual event here in, um, in the US, which is the Association of National Advertisers annual uh, marketing marketers conference It's called um, Masters of Marketing. It is the must attend for clients and agencies in the US. And, and, and the first year I went, um, 
I was struck by the fact that the opening speaker was Larry Light, who at the time was the chief marketing officer of McDonald's. And he launched at the ANA Masters of Marketing Conference the McDonald's I'm Loving It campaign. You know, so this is, I mean, this is 20 odd years ago. You know, obviously I'm Loving It has, you know, been, been you know, a linchpin in the campaign ever since. And he was talking about how they got to that line. And he said, you know, and finally, you know, the line came from a small agency in Germany. He didn't even say the name of the agency. You are launching this massive new campaign for one of the world's most famous global brands. You have a tagline that came out of, you know, months and months of work across all your portfolio agencies, and you couldn't even credit the agency that came up with it on stage in a way that would have massively helped their new business effort. So I registered that. And then, you know, I therefore took note for the rest of that day's agenda, um, because, you know, at this conference, it is chief marketing officer after chief marketing officer. And they all presented new campaigns and brand launches and whatever. And only one of them credited their agency. That's out bloody rageous. So, um, make damn sure you get the credit for your creative work and encourage your clients to name you everywhere they possibly can um, so that you get that credit and it helps your own sales efforts. Okay, second ad. Just one, that, one quick thing, Cindy, just on that exact point. It's a very interesting yeah, thing you brought up. That's f- It's a yeah, really, really important thing to us on this podcast. And if anyone's watched it, I always credit the agency ahead of the brand. When we do the the lower third, for, it's a small little thing I do because the podcast is about the agency work, not the brand, if that makes sense, uh, to that exact point. Mm. And as well, it can be an absolute pain in the ass trying to find out sometimes with older ads who the fucking agency was because there is n- there's articles, there's, there is pages written about these amazing ads mm. and I can't find out who the fucking yeah. creative outrageous. agency is. Outrageous, outrageous. No one tags them. And like... I end up going like 20 pages deep trying to find like I've been on old outdated websites trying to find a name to link to someone. So it's a huge thing for us on this podcast is that when we know or if we have and it's the agency goes first ahead of the brand because the brand goes first every other fucking place in life. So (laughs) just on that exact note. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you something on that? Do you you think that's that's systematic of the value that the brand places in the agencies that they, they use, or is just the agencies aren't good at pushing pushing their agenda for if pushing their own brand on uh, along with the work, or is it a mix of both? It's emblematic of the fact that our industry has, for literally centuries, colluded in its own devaluation. We have not done what I always recommend people do, which is people value you at the value you are seen to put on yourself. Right, that's yeah. there's there's such heavy words, <laughs> and I, and I mean that in the, in the most respectful ways. And like, he, you're the first person I, I really heard like push, you know, value yourself because it's so unusual to hear someone in the agency, you know, world in the marketing world do that. And do people get frightened when the brands and the agencies that you might still work with, if you if you were talking to them in a meeting, going, you have to do this, you should be doing this, do they get frightened with it? Because um, it's such a different well, way of approaching. Um, I mean, you know, not the ones that I work with, because that's what they're there for. 
<laughs> love it love it brilliant well, I think I think we can all we can all take uh, heavy lessons off that um, Cindy our second ad if you wouldn't mind oh our second ad is from Jay Walter Thompson and um, this is one of my favourite ads because I am a complete and total sucker for advertising I would not be good at my job if I weren't I am just as susceptible as any other consumer to advertise that does a great job of making me do something I originally had no intention of doing. So um, to set the scene for um, this next um, campaign, actually, because I've one ad, it, again, it's an old campaign, and so I have trouble finding more executions in it. But to set the scene for this, I am somebody who has never been interested in jewellery. I have never covered her diamonds, you know, uh, don't see the point. And along with my lack of interest in jewellery, I consider myself to have small hands with short stubby fingers. And so I never wore rings because I thought that they would just look stupid on small hands with short stubby fingers. So um, I'm, I moved to New York to start up BBH New York in the fall of 1998, which is when this campaign broke. and. I've talked about this campaign many times since because for me, this is the perfect storm of what our industry does phenomenally well, which is a highly creative solution to a fundamental business problem. So um, J. Walter Thompson have been De Beers agency for many, many years, De Beers, the diamond um, you know, uh, uh, producers. And um, this is at a time when the De Beers mines were mining a ton of small diamonds. And obviously, you know, the core of De Beers business is the engagement ring rock, you know, the big diamonds, the ones you spent, you know, JWT came up with the concept of a diamond is forever, you know, two months salary, you know, all, all of that genius marketing. And so there was a glut of small diamonds. And so what JWT proposed to De Beers was Let's take these small diamonds, let's um, use them in very um, contemporary designed rings, um, so very modern designs using a whole bunch of these small diamonds together, which because these are the small, less valuable diamonds, you know, can be sold at a lower price point than the engagement rings. And let's market them to women as the diamond ring you buy for yourself. And so J. Walter Thompson came up with the concept of the right hand ring. So obviously, when you have an engagement ring, you wear it on, you know, your left hand. And so the idea was that women would buy for themselves the right hand ring and they would wear it on their right hand. And the genius of this campaign is that it therefore offset the concept of what you wear on your right hand against what you wear on your left hand in a brilliant way that spoke to women who were single, you know, working women who could afford to buy themselves a right hand ring. And, you know, the, um, the, um, the, the ad that I um, am sharing um, with, with you all today is just one execution, a whole range of these. And again, we're talking you know, 25 years ago, this was running in print, it was running on, you know, um, on uh, posters, you know, bus shelters, etc. But, um, you know, th um, th th they were basically lines like, 
your left hand rocks the cradle, your right hand rules the world. And what this campaign did that was genius was it radiated an attitude of, you know, single independence, power, confidence. And I, who had never ever been interested in jewellery, had never had any desire for diamonds, never wore rings, I took one look at that campaign and went, fuck me, I want a right hand ring. <laughs> and, and, and the really good thing about it was, so, you know, I had, as I say, just moved to New York to start up BBH New York. And so I was doing a ton of media interviews. And a question I was frequently asked in those interviews was, so Cindy, now you've moved here from the UK to the US, you know, what are the American ad campaigns that you admire? And so my answer was always, that brilliant De Beers campaign that J.W. Thompson just did, but you know, blah, blah. and so J JWT reached out to me and they said, you're doing such a phenomenal job for us as our PR agent. Would you like a wholesale price on right-hand rings? And I went, you bloody bet. And I bought three. <laughs> that is brilliant. So, yeah, so it totally benefited me. Love it. That's brilliant. So whenever you want anything, we just need to shout about it. Shout about our competitors in a flattering yeah. light. That's fantastic. It is. A, it's a. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant ad, and I, I think there's so many. Not only the campaign and the strategy in it that you that you brought us through there, but even just the visuals and the copy. The way it's there's a lot of copy in it, but it seems very succinct at the same time because it's almost like truncated into different pieces. The, the, the copywriting in this campaign is genius. Mm. It really I is. I think as well, like... what's, what's really f interesting about it is with regards to the kind of the power of the visual of a right hand anyway. That's what I think is really impressive about this from sayings, being someone's right hand, to also with shaking hands being from the right hand being the sword hand. And the reason you shook hand with your right hand is to show you weren't armed. And like, so to bring that over and to provide that with jewelry and allowing women to own a right hand as the symbol of power with this right hand wing mm. ring, I think is is fabulous. Mm. And what I what I also love about the copywriting, I, I know in the sample you gave us, there's, there's all the copy is there. You can see how these could live as one lines kind of like teasing on a subway journey or something like that throughout and uh, throughout someone's actual commute or whatever. Um, and I think that's where, you know, copy is brilliant is when they, it can live fabulously mm. all in one place or they can do a job and sell by themselves but uh yeah lovely campaign i've never actually seen it before but absolutely gorgeous it's uh it's fabulous looking the 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 model image as well is, is very striking i think the obviously the the shine that's coming off the right hand you know the shine of the diamonds and all that but the fact that you can't see the exact ring that's on her hand is, is brilliant too because it can be any yeah any ring that you purchase to put on the right hand, but also the the stare that she's given to the camera is probably the most confident stare I've ever seen mm. from from someone on camera, and it just it perfectly ties in with what we've just read. That kind of journey of, uh, you know, th this is for you, do it for your, your yourself, and I just it all just comes together in in a really nice way, and it almost I don't know if this correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like an older campaign than it is kind of feels like a, a print campaign that could have been 70s or 80s or something like that but but obviously in 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 the 90s it kind of just has that 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 feel but there's there's just an ooze of confidence of it that that's kind of draws you in yeah 
I think I it definitely has a heritage feel about it. I think that's maybe what you're picking feel. up is a yeah. heritage and it is a heritage brand. So it's always going to have operate within certain parameters visually. But I, I, I think that's where. Um, but no, no, I think because obviously with the, the rise of kind of the working woman and things like that, it makes sense as to when it was around. Um, but uh, yeah, it's lovely. That's a great one for the archive. Like, um, I, yeah, I can't tell now if, if it's directly because of this ad, but only last month. My, my my wife wanted uh to buy herself her own diamond ring specifically for a finger on her right hand. Fantastic! And it came down, That's great. And it is it, it was it's it brilliant. She she had this for a while, and, and her her birthday is coming up. And then she said, "Going, if if you want that, I can get it for your birthday present." And she goes, "No, I want I want to buy this for myself." Ooh. And like it was, she's delighted with it now, and it's kind of she almost she treasures that as a more important piece. And but it's it's. It, it's funny that you brought this campaign that literally just happened in in our household only only, only last month you, you think is, is that has this set a a thing you know a, a cultural trend that that still exists exists today mm-hmm. um that's, yeah. that's that's deadly um okay well that's uh that's a brilliant ad Cindy thank you so much um how are you going to top that off with your with your third and final piece Right. So obviously, you know, I had to pick an ad from my old agency, BBH, um, and extremely difficult because one of the joys of working at BBH was, um, so again, when I was, you know, starting up BBH New York, pitching for business left, right and center, you know, I had to sit through um, hundreds of credentials meetings, which meant I had to sit through hundreds of showings of our showreel. And one of the things I enormously appreciated about BBH was that I never, ever, ever got tired of watching our showreel. You know, I watched those ads hundreds of times and I never got tired of watching them. And I used to sit, you know, in in the meeting room of BBH New York, you know, watching the showreel, thinking that, thinking, bet they can't say the same over at McCann Erickson. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me, McCann's a lot of friends there. (laughs) They're no longer the case, you know. Um, But um, so, um, so it's a tough one. But, you know, this is, I think, my favorite BBH ad of all time. It is for, um, you know, one of my favorite campaigns of all time, which is Axe. Um, And in fact, um, I, um, at BBH New York, I oversaw um, the launch of Axe into the um, US marketplace um, for Unilever back in 2002. Um, um, Obviously, um, here in the UK, historically, it's been links. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, this is out of a bloody genius, you know, Axe campaign. Um, This is the Axe Getting Dressed ad, which is my favorite Axe ad of all time. And um, it's my favorite for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, um, I have to say that this ad is BBH and, you know, um, all of BBH's production partners. This is craft skills at their absolute best. This ad is a phenomenon of, you know, obviously a brilliant creative idea, but then a phenomenon of brilliant creative execution. You know, the way it's filmed, the way the shots are framed, you know, the, the, the music is genius. Um, it, it, it is, you know, um, throughout my entire advertising career, um, but especially at BBH, I've been blown away by the attention to detail and the craft skills of the creative and the production uh, people that I worked with. 
Um, then, um, obviously, I love it because um, it does something which admittedly um, is called the Axe campaign, but which in my view, especially doing what I do now, does not happen enough in our industry, which is, it is a dramatization of the fact that we all have sex. And guess what? You know, we we all have sex very spontaneously on occasion, you know, with someone we've only just met, you know. So, so what I love about the ad is, you, you know, its genius is revealed as you get to the final shot um, and, and you, un, you understand what you've been watching and why you've been watching it. Um, and, you know, I, I just love the fact that, you know, this ad does what we are doing at Make Love Not Porn. We are socializing, normalizing and destigmatizing sex, bringing it out of the shadows into the sunlight as a perfectly normal, universal human experience that should be celebrated as opposed to consigned to the shadows and covered with shame, guilt and embarrassment. So that's why I love this ad. like even as a narrative like it doesn't feel like 90 seconds first of all at all it doesn't feel like 90 seconds and i love how it uh, the couple is represented because at the very beginning you're kind of like going down the stairs and you're like oh it started on the couch and then they give you that shot of the gate and you're like what have i missed <laughs> and it's the it's the kind of almost cameron crow-esque narrative of of a of a uh, couple going through the world with this amazing soundtrack and it's the playful nature of it i think it's so it's so refreshing there's no there's not this incredible intensity or it's just two people interacting and it's uh, this is what happens it's kind of a more honest approach it just reminds me of, of i don't know it's young love is what comes into my mind when i see it um uh it's a bit emotional got, almost yeah it's good and the music the music they talk mm. about it, picking the music like it's like that music can only make you feel one way, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, it's a masterclass in fabulous. in storytelling. Mm. Like mm. it's just visual storytelling. Every every shot is, it's like you've turned another page and it's gonna gonna slightly different direction, but still still on the same on the same path. It's 
it's absolutely gorgeous um did that work across both both markets the the us and and the uk oh, as well um, this um, um, that ran um in the uk and europe um that was mm -hmm. basically before um that that was some years before um you know we then opened up in the us and and then we stealth pitched for um acts in the us um you know, um, uh, what was interesting about our early days in New York was it didn't matter if BBH London had the business elsewhere. We had to win it all over again. You know, I led the pitch for Axe for the US. I led the pitch for Johnny Walker for the US. You know, we did not get given the business just because BBH already had it. Um, and, um, and it was a very different task in the US because um, what Axe asked us to do was not just launch the brand, but basically launch a whole new category. Male deodorant body sprays did not exist in America um, until Axe came into the market, and um, we worked on we worked on on that launch for two years before we unveiled it in August of two thousand two. And Unilever had given us um, the challenge. We launched in August two thousand two. They wanted to be at three percent of the male deodorant market by year end. We made it four percent. So it was a very, very successful launch, but, but, but it was a different kind of task basically than, you know, the established brand already in the UK and Europe. And, and what was it like to, to, to pitch for that and, and, and kind of craft where you're going with it, but were, were you having to use retrofit existing assets to, to, to tell that story? Oh, no, no, was... um, no. I mean, I mean, the, the brand proposition is the same, you know, Axe gives you the edge in in the game of mating or you know um more succinctly where acts get laid i mean that's fundamentally the strategy um <laughs> but uh, but but no, we, we we created a whole launch campaign specifically for america amazing um yeah that's 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 just class ad like they're, they're the kind of ads yeah you almost you almost watch and go right well that's that's the upper echelons uh never <laughs> never gonna never gonna reach those peaks but like they're 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 inspiring at the same time as as uh disheartening because they're so good um that 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 that's brilliant um well i think we're we're almost out of time cindy and i, I can't thank you enough for for initially your, your your first three ads but also for for coming on to the podcast um as i said before we start recording um i'm a bit nervous today because i am a genuine uh, genuine fan uh, of yours ever since uh, you blew my mind uh, in 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 france um so i i from 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 me to you, I genuinely want to say thank you so much for, for coming on uh, and i hope uh, i know i have and i hope everyone else has, has learned uh, uh, some some insightful nuggets um from yourself and I'd love to to hear what's going on in, in the world of, of Cindy Gallup. What initiatives are you working on at the minute? How can people get in touch? Sure. Well, at the moment, um, I'm working to raise funding for Make Love Not Porn. So anybody who knows any open-minded investors, hook a sister up, Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. And you can find me in Make Love Not Porn um, at Cindy Gallup, at Make Love Not Porn on Twitter and Instagram. Um, uh, we are um, at makelovenotporn.tv. Uh, my personal website is cindygallop.com. And I recently started a Substack because in the 14 years I've been working at Make Love Not Porn, I've had a ton of requests for sex advice. Um, plus people ask me questions on social media all the time. And so I started, Dear Cindy, you can send in your questions and I will answer one each week. So check out Dear Cindy on Substack. Do sign up, it's free to subscribe, but please take out a paid subscription because everything goes to Make Love Not Porn to help 
you know keep my keep my business going fantastic so please uh, don't be shy getting in touch uh, with, with Cindy at all the above but again Cindy thank you so much uh, for coming on to the podcast that's Cindy Gallup uh, founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn uh, if you're listening to this uh, and you want to watch uh, the ads uh, and see the ads that Cindy's brought go to workerfo.e forward slash podcast um, and uh, like subscribe and all that good stuff uh, on whatever platform you're listening to but until next week thank you and goodbye thanks so much I Love That Ad is proudly sponsored by IRS Plus, the one-stop shop for expert local radio planning and media agnostic brand solutions. If you have a media brief, you need to speak to IRS Plus. Go to irsplus.ie or mail hello at irsplus.ie for more.